Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who is a very peculiar talker. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, what can I say? My very unique accent among all of the American accents. Just uh... <laughs> My accent that seems like it was perhaps co- concocted in a lab. Well, Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Oh, yeah. We do a movie over there once a month that is a non-Criterion film, and our supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, Usually, I put together a list based on whatever whim I'm having. Uh, Sometimes I use user-suggested lists, uh, supporter-suggested lists. And if we use a list that a supporter suggests, we try very hard to schedule it right so that we can get that supporter on. Uh, and that's always fun because it's, it's, it's it fun is. to talk to somebody yeah. about a movie they love. Just recently, we watched Footloose uh, and we watched Salt of the Earth. Uh, and that's just uh, just a small taste of the wide variety of film we end up They're basically watching. the same movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like just wild, could, wildly inaccurate listen, statements. Like this. A wildly inaccurate statement that I will now spend too much time thinking, thinking about, about yeah, how too. they actually are. Yeah. I, I immediately started down that path. But I was yeah. like, no, Pat, stop. You said no, a thing to no. me as a joke and <laughs> treat it as a joke. We're not, going, Let's move on. we're not going to make that joke true. Um, but yeah, $1 gets you uh, voting access, gets you access to the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. There's 60 over there now because we've, uh, we've been doing that bonus stuff for a long time. Yeah, too. pretty long time. It is. It is one ep- ep- one bonus episode every month from January to November, as our December uh, bonus episode is the holiday special that gets the wide release to everyone. So at your $1 mark, you don't actually get a bonus for December, I'm sorry to say, but you still get to help keep us going, and that's that that's its own reward, isn't it? Right, yeah, no, uh, I mean, of course it is. Yeah, for, uh, for folks who need a little more of their own reward, uh, and... <laughs> To help keep us going a little bit better. Uh, we do have a $5 mark as well. Our $5 mic, we like to thank those people on air. Uh, it's literally called Hear Someone Say Your Name. So here we go. Thank you to our $5 supporters, Andrew Jarrett, Chris Otto, Eric Coronado, and Stephen Goldmeyer. A bit above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on postcard and write a little personalized thank you note. That's once a month as well. We also like to thank those $10 and above supporters on air. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Nina Bojnak, Patrick Yako, Jason Westhaber, and Tracy McGrath. Thank you. If you want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 market, head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there, and the postcards past uh, will come up. You can buy them there if you like, or just check them out. You can just stare you know, at them right, all day. That's fine, too. You don't have to buy them. Just look at it. You can right click. See what they look like on a bottle. Image as. Or on a shower curtain or a throw yeah. blanket or I don't know. Just download the pictures, Windows print stickers. them on your own t shirts, and sell them yeah, there you uh, go. Sell them out of the back of your car. I don't care. Uh, I, I give you full permission to steal the art and do whatever the fuck you want with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, you can buy the old postcards there as postcards, as greeting cards, as stickers, or as magnets. Uh, a few of them as buttons as well when the arts really worked out. Uh, Do you but, think they sell toilet paper? I know for a fact that they don't. Okay. I'm sorry. Damn. They do not have printed toilet paper at Redbubble. I'm sure we could find somewhere to print your postcard <laughs> images on toilet paper if you want. I find that exciting. Can we think we could get that done? I'll look into it. Okay. Listener, I'm not going to look into it. Don't tell Pat. Yeah, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to buy those past ghost cards or just check them out, you can go to redbubble.com and search for Los Angeles Hyperion. If you want to support us more directly, head to, well, I mean, it's direct support either way. But I mean, if yeah, you want we get to that support money. us more regularly, you can head to patreon.com slash lost in criterion and support I mean, us there. I encourage you to do both. You can both support us and then also, I don't know, buy an unnecessary amount of postcards and do something, you know, that wedding invitations. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Do something silly. Uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate and thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, all of anyone who has bought anything off of Redbubble from us. And to you for listening. Yeah, Thanks we so appreciate much. listeners. It's nice that people listen. Yeah. Pat, this week we are talking about our <laughs> first Sidley Lumet film on the actual podcast. Is it really? Uh, yeah, we have done two, we have done three Sidney Lumet films as bonus episodes so I far. I did not know that. We have that. never done one on the podcast proper. That kind of freaks me out, actually. <laughs> Doesn't it? It's kind of weird. Yeah. So uh, as bonus episodes, we have done Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. We have done Network. Well, I always forget that Dog Day Afternoon is not a Criterion movie because it seems like a crime that it's not. Right. It should be. And Network should be, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I, and then we also did. I, I literally do not believe it when you tell me it's not. Right, right, right. Well, we took so long to do Network as a bonus episode because I just thought it already was in the Criterion Collection. And, and the first time I... Uh, I the first time I realized it wasn't, I immediately made a list to put it on. We have also done Failsafe, which ironically, uh, or coincidentally, uh, was later added to the I Criterion mean, Collection. I it's Atlantis so set ironic, but yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. So um, so we have now watched as many films from Sidley Mumet for bonus episodes as are in the current collection, and one of them is, is the same one we watched. Uh, yeah. So that's a that's a silly thing. It is a, but, si- a silly thing. But yeah, so we'll get uh, we'll get twelve Angry Men eventually, oh, okay. and we will get we will get failsafe way far in the distant. Oh future. yeah, I mean the chances that like it won't be some distant ancestor of ours doing that po- the podcast at that point <laughs> is pretty low. So. Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, what what number is it actually? It's like so, 1,200 or 1,300 or something crazy like that, right? Probably. Yeah. The crazy thing is it'll actually it'll actually only be about two years, under two years, in fact, before we see 12 Angry Men. Uh, but Failsafe is, is number 1,011. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah. So, something to look forward yeah. to in a decade. <laughs> right, right, indeed. Uh, an interesting aspect of Sidley Lumet is that he got his er- early start 12 Angry Men is his first uh, first directorial debut. Really? For an actual right. film, which is knocked it out of the park. Uh, obviously, we will talk about that in about about 18 months, I think. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it's number 591. And oh, okay. This is, yeah. 
this is five uh five fifteen so it's not that far away but is still pretty far away well for us it's um, a fair distance away yes. right like that the way right. the numbers it doesn't seem numerically very far away but in time <laughs> right, it's actually right. gonna be quite a long time indeed indeed uh but prior to that, prior to and and probably concurrent with the first few actual films he was making, uh, he did a lot of the teleplay stuff, like we watched on uh, a few months ago with the Golden Age of Television box set. Um, in fact, for for the same shows, some of them. So he did he did uh, I think three episodes of uh, of Playhouse ninety. Uh, he did um, an episode of the, or two of the U.S. Steel Hour. Um, okay. Yeah. And one of the bonus features on this disc, which unfortunately we didn't get to watch, is actually three episodes or three, three one hour. I don't know how long they are. But they are three teleplay episodes or one episode that is all three films, but they're all one-act plays of Tennessee Williams that Lumet adapted for television um which would have been fun and i'm sorry that we weren't able to find yeah, a physical that would have been copy fun. of this yeah. to to end up uh end up watching it but yeah he did yeah he just did a fantastic amount of television as well, well speaking of which though like this this was a weirdly difficult to find movie like i was kind of surprised by like yeah it's it's not out of print in the criterion collection but it is not it is not on criterion channel which unfortunately means for pat is it is especially difficult uh to get a physical copy of it in japan yeah so that's uh well and it just sort of seems like i don't know like you would think that like Sidney Lumet, marlon brando like this should be one of those ones that's like this feels like the sort of movie where, like, every free yeah. streaming service would just like, or every like, uh, right, every stream, also, free, every streaming service would just have it because it's, it's, you know. But also the fact that it like bombed when it came out. Oh really? Uh, that makes yeah, sense. But. Would, would, you know, but but that should make it like, like the dollar bin DVDs, which are all on like Tubi or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Least, where you can just like right? roll in and so. like like. You look it up on like online, like where can I watch it? And it's like twelve different services are all like we've got right, it, right? Yeah, I couldn't. This wasn't even streaming on stuff like that on Tubi. Canopy used to have it, but doesn't anymore. So someone owns it that told Canopy they couldn't have it anymore. Um, yeah, it's just it's it wasn't uh, my my main point. Yeah, is that like it's just weirdly locked down for a movie of yeah, this type. Usually, this does not feel like the kind of movie that would be this tightly locked down. Yeah. Usually stuff like this gets an upload to archive.org or someone's put it on YouTube right, without right. anyone kind of investigating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and it wasn't that wasn't true as uh, true either. So yeah, it was uh it was surprisingly difficult uh to come by despite the fact that it's not out of print as I said. Criterion criterions that aren't out of print. Um I usually get from the library, even some that are out of print, I get from the library, and uh, even my my local library didn't have it this time around. It's very strange. Uh, it, I don't know. It just yeah, it just seems odd. But like, oh well, we got it. Yeah, um, yeah. it's it is it is insane that this movie see, <laughs> didn't do very well in 1960. The Criterion the Criterion essay with this one says no one saw it in 1960. Well, here's the thing: uh, is like I kind of yes, but I also I. 
<laughs> you said like it bombed, and I was like, "Well, that's not actually surprising." I kind of get it in the sense that like this movie is aggressively. I don't know. This movie feels like one of those sort of co- like counterculture type films, right? Like you know, you that, that became quite prevalent, but like is also kind of very, very aggressive. Like oddly it's, enough, <laughs> like it's very Tennessee Williams. Yes, yes yeah, and uh, so like <laughs> you can kind of see how like a couple newspaper like reviewers went and saw it and could like literally just tell the entire world like hey this is garbage don't go watch it right like as as happens or whatever right like it, it and then you know who knows what the advertising campaign was like or whatever or like whether they even advertised it or not but like i don't know it's it's somehow like when you do, told me that that was like one of the least surprising things you've ever told me i was like ah oh, yeah i guess that yeah probably not right like it feels like it should be like famous i mean obviously it is famous but like it feels like it should have been a big hit but sort of if you consider climate and everything like like of the time and stuff it's yeah. not that surprising williams had been on sort of a, a kick this is based on a play of his called uh orpheus descending which came out in 57 um so just a few years before this right okay the title the fugitive kind comes from a 1937 play of the same eh, with that name um, well, there's one of the final lines of Orpheus descending is, uh, I mean, is it references the fugitive kind? I mean, yeah, is it verbatim, yeah, verbatim what's, in, what's in the movie? Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's also at one point was, uh, sort of, uh, as, as I understand it, it's also got elements of some of his, uh, another of his plays. Or uh, the fugitive kind, Orpheus descending existed in a couple of different forms before, before what ultimately hit the stage in '57. Um, but this is Tennessee Williams just had such a so much going on, uh, and uh, like the run of just right before Orpheus descending was Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which got a film. Right. Adaptation, yes. obviously. We got a streetcar named Designer. A couple uh, Desire a couple eight years before that film <laughs> had had a film adaptation. We've got uh, film adaptations of uh, Camino Real, Ro- uh, The Rose Tattoo, Summer in Smoke, uh, <laughs> Suddenly Last Summer, Sweet Bird of Youth, The Night of the Iguana. Uh, <laughs> you know, just all kinds of stuff that's happening. In his career. And then this sort of... The play also sort of bombed. And an interesting aspect of the play is that Williams had met Anna Magnani in Italy and was so impressed with her. And and Magnani we've seen a lot of, too. Mm-hmm. She's uh, She was in Rome Open City. Um, she was... Uh, Interesting enough, she she was also in uh, Pasolini's uh, Mama Roma. She was the the main character in Mama Roma, um, which I don't think we actually. I think we talked about in the Mama Roma episode, but didn't actually come back around and talk about when we finally watched Rome Open City. Um, 
she was also Camilla in Renoir's The Golden Coach, the main character there. Um, so we've seen quite a bit of her. Uh, but uh, he had met her and was super impressed with her and wanted her to star in the stage version of Orpheus Descending, okay. which would become The Fugitive Klein. And she agreed to do it, but didn't want to get tied down to it. So she was only she she wouldn't agree to do it for more than two two months running. And she would only agree to do it if Brando was the male lead. And that didn't work out for the stage play. Okay. So they were never in the stage play together. Neither of them were in the stage play at all. Uh huh. her character here, Lady Torrance was actually played on stage by Maureen Stapleton, who plays V V Talbot, the the wife of the the wife of the sheriff in this movie. Uh so uh for there's a lot of production issues with Magnani thinking that she was past her prime and Brando not trusting uh, Lumet as a as a new director, um, and Brando having a commitment to acting, um, and and then on top of it, Marine Stapleton was there making Magnani feel even more insecure because she was she was performing the role Stapleton had originated on the stage, uh, and Stapleton apparently was very very generous generously amnesiatic about her time on the stage okay that's so, good so lumet lumet would ask her for advice about how they did it for the stage production she would say like oh i don't i don't remember uh, <laughs> and yeah um tennessee williams was was did the screen adaptation uh, along with uh, mead roberts uh and he was on he was there, which mostly wasn't a problem. Like sometimes that can be a real problem, and we usually have yeah. stories about that being a real problem when the when the original playwright. But Williams seems to have been uh, roundly uh, better about it. Um, but yeah, uh, so there was a lot. There's a lot going on, and then also uh, Magnani thought that she and Brando would actually have a love scene and they never really had one. Okay. So she was a little, she was a little pissed about that too, apparently. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, uh, yeah, it, it got, it got weird. <laughs> yeah. From what I sounds read. like it. Uh, there's a, there's a line in the criterion essay that suggests she may have, she may have stopped bathing, oh. uh, as sort of to like punish the production. Oh, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, uh, wasn't real sure how to read that. Uh, but anyway, it all it all worked out into what I think is a pretty pretty great movie no, and a pretty yeah. good yeah pretty good adaptation of a of a Williams play. Um, it's very, I mean, it's what I expect from a Williams play, right? right? Sort of, you know, that Southern Gothic, uh, depressing sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, with Brando as Basically, the the only kind man <laughs> in the entire. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting. It's a it's a really interesting. There's a lot. 
This movie is hard to pin down exactly in that way because, like, yeah, I mean, Brando is certainly the only redeemable male character in the movie at all, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And even he, you get, like, pretty... Him being the only decent man in the movie is not is not recommending mankind, right? Like, right, <laughs> right, large, right, right, right. Like, right. He's better than the rest and still kind of a... Kind of a just a jerk like i mean he's still kind of an asshole right like we we are meant to we're not meant to like hate him or anything like that but it's very also clear that we're meant to like never fully trust him as a character completely like he's supposed to be kind of a a, a drifter who we can't like we we grow as a as an audience along with um lady to like trust him but there's always yeah. that edge of knowing that, like, at any moment he could just turn turn and run, right? Like, he could just, like, disappear overnight, which is, like, literally the plot, right? But, you know, um, at the at the very end, right? But, like, it's, it's um, yeah, it, it is really meant to hammer home that, like, there's, that that's just, that there is not really going to be any, like, quote-unquote good men, right? Um yeah, right. it's very fascinating. I, I I really did like I like everything about like in conception. I like everything about the movie, and I actually like the execution pretty well. Um, there's certain things that I found were sometimes kind of o- awkward, and I don't think they were intended to be awkward. Um, with sort of like uh, the characters, I think it it, it stems from uh, my my perception of it stems partially because like. Mar- Brando's acting job in this is is quirky to an extreme in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of ways that make right, it that make right. it feel like sort of I don't I don't I guess you could almost say that it works because again Tennessee Williams and and Southern Gothic it gives it a sort of like he's very creepy as a character uh but I don't know that it always comes off the right way like the way that yeah. the, that they want it to come off right as dangerous yeah. is what they are going also, for. <laughs> yeah. It's also, it's also under uh, my understanding from, from the essay that, uh, uh, which is by David Thompson, by the way, I don't think I'd mentioned that yet, but it's also my understanding from the essay that Brando did every, every scene. He did two takes one where he was textually and technically accurate to what Lumet and the script called for. And one where he was his style of acting um, until uh, at least until he started to trust Lumet as a director. Um, yeah. So there was also a point in like pre-production where uh, Brando and Magnani were just absolutely convinced it wasn't going to work. Okay. And started doing their line reads just as like mumbly whispers. Uh, like what? So, what convinced them it wasn't going to work? Like, I don't know. I'm I think they, about that. Like, is it... I think just the just the fact that this is the fourth, the fourth uh, feature production from Sidley Lumet, uh, despite the fact that Twelve Angry Men really knocks it out of the park. It's the first one. They uh, but like they oh, that's didn't trust him. That's interesting yeah. because I guess like 
you know, we are dealing with a time in 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 Hollywood where like everybody's got like seven thousand movies under their belt, and like because they're doing like twenty a year or whatever. Like, I don't know, like four feature productions doesn't feel like like nothing. Uh, right. Many many of everybody's favorite uh, like French New Wave directors, you know, were only you know we're not exactly pumping them out right but i guess this is this is very early i understand that but like this is what 1960 you said yeah 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 but like i don't know it just seems funny because like i i don't know like there as a result when it all comes together i guess because of all those dynamics i don't dislike the movie but like it is odd it it has an odd vibe to it as a movie as movies go like you watch it and you're like I was engrossed I watched the entire thing I I really I liked it I was very into it but then at the yeah. end I get done and I'm like that was a weird movie that was like odd right <laughs> right and I think I think part of its oddness is that it is a Tennessee Williams yeah, I get adaptation that. and you know things his sort of because it's not it's not sort of as southern gothic as gothic in the southern gothic as some of his stuff uh, it really just is a bunch of broken people interacting, right? And I'm uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that as a as a concept, right? Like I mean, like because you know we we've all encountered sort of Tennessee Williams and then things that are supposed to be sort of um, takes on Tennessee, Tennessee Williams. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I, that's like not a vibe that I have a problem with necessarily. It, it is a combination of Tennessee Williams and then the way that the movie is performed. Well. It yeah, has to be. I, I think that's fair. I think probably another thing is that the play's title, Orpheus Descending, uh, is indication um, that the plot structure is meant to be a retelling of the Orpheus myth. Right. Um, so this is Orpheus descending into hell uh, to, to retrieve yeah. uh, his lover. Uh, and then it not working out, right? And we do, you know, we get we get broad strokes, sort of the framing of that, you know. Obviously, uh, he he doesn't know the woman he ends up trying to bring out of hell in the end. He didn't know her to begin with. I mean, right? But uh, but yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe the fact that it is in a manner trying to be true-ish to the Greek myth makes it feel weird too. That's possible. I think uh, it, it is possible that those, that the, 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 the I, I am certain that, that what gives it an odd vibe is, is a combination of all the, like, it's just how right, they, a right. bunch of things can come together and sometimes they blend perfectly and this blended well, like, yeah, it's not like it's, but the result sometimes is just an odd flavor, and I think that's kind of what you get here. Is right. I can see audiences being turned off of this movie. Yeah, like going to watch this and think, being like, "This is an odd vibe." I think that the opening scene where we meet Snakeskin in the courtroom, yeah, is really feels televisiony. Yes, I agree. That one was I. I could not that that scene. The way the judge is done is just so fucking strange. I don't I <laughs> right, don't like it. Right. I don't like it at all. Like, I was kind of turning against the movie and then was turned yeah. back towards it 
with the rest of the movie. But that that first scene is just like, what the fuck are we doing here right now? It's a very weird choice stylistically, uh, because the judge is unseen. Our camera is sort of maybe from his point of view. Uh, no, but to like but the also to the right. It's like yeah, it's yeah, a weird angle. Right? Because if 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 Brando's character is meant to be looking at the judge, it's, uh, it's the camera is not at his point of view, um, and then he's his lines are just done in voiceover, and yeah. there's like a marked difference. Yeah, very between voiceover. It's not like yeah. it's not like they recorded him at the same. You know what I mean? Like it right clearly it's not recorded someone standing later. off camera yeah. and saying the lines. Right, right. like is. very clear. I I suspect. I I suspect based on how awkward the whole thing is, I don't think. Not only is it not somebody standing offline, I don't think anybody's reading the judge's dialogue to Brando at all. I I would almost agree, and I had that same thought, but but the timing works out well enough. Uh, yeah, but I'm but then again, so sure with Br- with Brando's delivery style and how much he digs the pauses. Right. I bet you could have jammed any out. old dialogue you wanted in there. Right. Dude right. could have done there a fucking like like Shakespearean takes, soliloquy in between each of those right. like deliveries. Right. He does he takes enough time between the end of the judge's question and when he starts speaking in quite a few of them that you really could throw anything in there. Yeah. <laughs> I just I don't know, it just has a feeling like they wrote be, the dialogue like for the judge to match Brando's right. answers. It would it would be absolutely insane if they did that. But if they if they wrote the dialogue, just to give it to give it sort of a Rossellini feel, they let they let Brando talk on screen, but then all, all of the dialogue is is not even written until I, after I, everything's I, been I filmed. I don't believe it's true, but at the same time, I can't like let it go as an idea because it ha- it feels it just doesn't feel like they're like in it doesn't just feel like they're not in the same room. It doesn't feel like they're in the same like world yeah. it's, i know i get it's, it it's very i get strange. it i don't know yeah. but like that 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 scene does is is a bit off-putting and then we get into the town and i guess i think my my only real like i talked about the delivery and we'll talk about it some more because like this the, the I, it, I think a lot of the vibe comes down to like everybody's delivery being so kind of wildly different and like yeah and 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 and, and some of that I, but like when you every, get into the town, every, you end up with the, the the classic sort of like sort of southern gothic kind of storytelling thing, which is like, oh, this is an ongoing story, and we're walking into the middle of it. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. There's right. nothing wrong with that, except for you know, you just sort of as an audience member, sort of are a little lost for a while, right? You're like, mm, right, I don't right. know what the deal is here, and like like Brando, you're figuring it out, right? I guess my issue, oh man, like I don't want to complain because I do like this movie a lot. I think part of my issue is that Brando doesn't, as a character, his character and the way he handles it doesn't feel like it cares what's going on. Yeah. So, like, we as an audience, like, we care, but, like, our our motivation and the main character's motivation don't exactly align. And so, like, I don't feel like he's actively trying to investigate what's going on yeah. and understand what's going on. So we're... But we want to know what's going on. It, I, right. It's not bad. It just makes it like where you're like, oh, but you're for, not doing what I want, character. Get to work. For as much as his character ostensibly wants this to be his new normal, he's really not invested 
in. Right. He's still maintaining himself as an outsider. And you could argue right. that he is required to, that the, the town is not going to right, accept right, him. Right, right, And that there is no place for him here, which is the ultimate truth of the, the matter. Right, right. But, like, you know, there's the, there's... I've seen there. This is not that uncommon of a story trope that we've seen before, where like usually that character actively tries to integrate themselves in the town is and is rejected. Snakeskin doesn't yeah. feel like he's trying to integrate into the town. He feels like he's trying to integrate it maybe into that specific store to keep the job, right. but that's like, you know, that's just the job, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and you know, I. Uh, an aspect that's actually quite good is that in a in a lesser version of this story, something like say Pleasantville, yeah, these outsiders would be introducing all of these new concepts to to everyone, right? Right, right, he right. Comes, yeah, that is he comes the in, worst version of that, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Not to you know, Pleasantville's fine, uh, but uh, but but uh, you know, thinking about that sort of that sort of plot, the outsiders stirring things up. But we've got the we've got the uh, the sheriff's wife, who already does not like her life, uh, and wants to be a painter who, who not only, you know, she's she's painting landscapes of the town, but she's painting them as she feels them. Right is how she describes it. So right. She, yeah, yeah. She makes the church blue and and things like that. We've got the. Uh, the the drunk daughter of the richest family in the area who uh whose brother wants to control who's also a drunk uh but has more power so has banished her from the county uh keeps showing up um so yeah she's already libertine and already outside the control of this space uh and sort of the most the outsider who is sort of most integrated is the shopkeep lady, um, I, was, I almost said Persephone because that's you know, right, who yes, she's yeah, supposed yeah, to yes, be, right, yes. in the myth. But, but, uh, but uh, Lady Torrance um, is, you know, the most outsider because she's she's Italian, um, but the daughter of Italian immigrants to the area, right? Because it is it is her husband who is revealed to have been the person who burned down. Right, I mean, the, she is, she is, is, yeah, I mean, yes. Her dad's, her dad's uh, vineyard. Um, you know, so she's, she's integrated in that she has, she has arrived here and then been cut off from her roots uh, and is now in an unhappy marriage as well. And Brando offers hope for all three of these women. You know, when, when Val arrives, uh, Mrs. Talbot definitely falls for him, uh, you know, and wants to wants to take her under under his or take him under her wing. Um, Torrance certainly, and and obviously, Carol is, you know, obsessed with him. Well, right. right. I you mean, know? Carol represents but, the only one who can actually express <laughs> any of those feelings outwardly, right? Right. Like she right, has right. A, a position in and town his, where that that allows that, or at least can't actively punish that. Um, wow. whereas like, well, can actively punish it, but has so far done a very, but well, what I mean, yeah, they, stellar I mean, they job actively actively what I meant it. is that like, they can't yeah. put a, like, they, they lack the authority or power to put a stop to it actually. Right. Like they can punish right. it. I, I just meant they can't like act. Nobody possesses the power to stop it. 
really. Right. Um, whereas, right. like, in both of the other cases, they do. Um, the The sheriff's wife is is an interesting one because she, she, she helps him out at the beginning. She takes a shine to him and then sort of disappears for the rest of the movie until the very end and is then suddenly, right. like, the catalyst for, like, the end of the movie. I find right. I think that among uh, if I had like real complaints about the story that would be one of them is that like yeah she geez. like has a very strange function in the movie to like kick off his presence From, in the town and then to like be the result yeah. of the reason he's kicked out From what I read else. from what I read about the plot of the play she's a framing element she didn't exist in the play Ah okay uh Carol existed in the play obviously the shop keeps wife existed in the play but uh but the story is this guy comes to town and has we start after he has already gotten the job where he's trying to be sort of in hiding from his previous life and like honestly speaking like as as just as a person like personally i prefer that as uh, that sounds nice that sounds better to me it were it works a little cleaner I, I, I think that this movie has too much preamble, if I'm being totally honest about, like, if I was going to name its fault, I think having too much preamble is probably one of them. Like, it just has too much. Like, we don't need a full explanation of why he's... Like, well, we certainly don't need the judge scene. The judge scene is just wildly unnecessary. Like, we get that he's a drifter adding, almost immediately from upon seeing him. Oh, he's in a small yeah, town. His name is Snakeskin. I got it covered. I know what's up here. <laughs> right, right. It's almost, it's, I hate to say it's, uh, it's leaning too hard on the tropes, but the addition of the sheriff's wife to the plot makes it so that our three female leads are the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, I. I feel and like she you is, could have she this is very much the happen. mother. Yeah. Uh <laughs> to that. And yeah, yeah. I it's just it 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 doesn't need to be there. I mean, it's worth noting, uh, right? Like Sidney Met made the screenplay for the movie, so like it it you know, it's not like um or not Sidney Met, sorry. Uh, you mean Tennessee, Tennessee Williams, Williams yeah. yeah. So it's not it's worth noting that it's not like somebody came along and fucked up his vision. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, right. This is like he was actively he involved with that, those decisions, with right? And I, I personally yeah. think it was probably a mistake. I get where it comes from. Uh, yeah, he's to a certain extent probably worried about the audience, like whether the audience is going to pick up on all the sort of contextual clues fast enough, uh, yeah, and stuff like that. But as a result, there's just a lot of um, a lot of lead in to something that doesn't. The main function of the plot doesn't really need. Um, I don't know. I do, I actually do think it's kind of odd to shoehorn a triple goddess into your Orpheus plot. <laughs> so, yeah. No. I, no. no I, but yeah. Whatever. I Williams can do whatever he wants. He's a smarter playwright than I am, certainly. But <laughs> well, yes. That's yeah. yeah. I mean, I will just say that you know we we have our feelings about it. Um, but like, I don't think the story is unsuccessful or anything like that. Um, I I I my my issue with the, the sheriff's wife is that 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 her being a sort of feeling like an you can tell you can feel the addendum nature of her to a certain extent and like I can't even get a good we spend so little time with her that it's hard to even like get a good read on her as like a person you you know yeah. what I mean like we and so like 
maybe she's in love with Val, but like enamored with Val, but like also maybe just like she's also you know, I guess in the end, like the real story is about the the trauma of these three women, right? Like Right. And right. and in a different a slightly different story, like I mean, Val is there almost just as a catalyst to like talk about the story of these three women, except for her story just doesn't get a lot of time. Right. Like we know she has been through a lot of a lot of things she that were very traumatic for her. Yeah. Um she does not like the way that her husband conducts his business even a little bit. Certainly. Uh, and and so we we could have spent a lot of time on that. And we just and she we don't. And she particularly feels responsible and this is, you know, it's not textual, but it's definitely subtextual that she does feel responsible for the death, the off-screen death of yeah. the boy we never meet well, who escaped from jail. And we can use that as a sort of analog <laughs> for all the men that her husband has killed. Right. Right. That she feels like she can't actually stop it, but she feels like she wants to and should, right? She she feels sympathy. Yeah. But like, we know as the story develops that, like, this sheriff is, like, is a killer. He's just, he's just any outsider, any, any, any transgression against the, like, the, the rules is essentially a death sentence in this town. Um, right. And so, like, she, that doesn't match with her her ethics and her idea of what is right and wrong. Uh, and so she's traumatized, but we just don't spend a lot of time with her. And I, I think that probably having three female, like three important women in the story, like that are all like sort of different aspects of the same thing. And then like kind of not having enough time for one of them is kind of a problem because we do spend enough time to find out what's going on with the other two, like actively. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, I, I I think the as a framing device, it's it's not bad. It's it's good. But yeah, yeah, I I get why it was added to sort of flesh out what was probably a one act play right. to begin yeah. with. Um, and it certainly helps to add the additional <laughs> one act on the front end. But but yeah. Yeah, I just I think the movie could have worked without it. Oh yeah, for and... sure, totally. I mean, you could have definitely flashed out like you you could have essentially divided the first the second act into the first and the second act. Like there would uh, there are other ways it could have worked. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's also you know it it could have been a half hour shorter and been fine too. That's also so, true. Uh, yeah. That is also very true. Yeah. Not that you know it. It doesn't feel it's two hours, but it no, is two hours. No, no, it it, does, it is not. It is. I was never, um, like, unhappy with the length of the movie or anything. I didn't. It didn't. You know, sometimes you you get your two hour movies that feel like they're three, and then you get the two hour movies that right, feel like right, they're right, an right. hour. And like this is definitely moves well and is good as far as that stuff's concerned. It's just you're right. It could have lost that half an hour, and it probably would have felt like a short movie, but it would have been a very tight movie that like felt good to watch i don't know it's interesting that 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 people didn't like it um I, I, but i get it man like i don't yeah. I, well, you said that and like i'm still trying to like exactly lock on to why but like i i do get it and i i don't dislike it i like it yeah but like i can imagine people being like what the fuck was that like, right right like like even <laughs> you know, 
even later, uh, Wikipedia's got a quote from from Jonathan Rosenbaum, who was you know obviously was not a movie critic in 1960. Uh, he was, I think, yeah, he was 17 in 1960. Uh, but. Uh, you know, his review of it says, unfortunately, Lumet, who's often out of his element when he leaves New York, seems positively baffled by the Gothic South and doesn't know quite what to do with the overlay of Greek myth either. And I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily feel that. No, I don't know I that think, that's necessarily true. I think it does work. I think the movie does work. Uh, you... You've said it feels it feels off to you, but I'm not even convinced it feels off to me. I think it, I think they made some interesting choices that didn't necessarily need to be made with the introduction of of the the mother of our of our triple goddess. But uh, but I think it I think ultimately it, it it feels good. It feels fine, at least not well. Like I I don't know I. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I, I don't. I'm having trouble categorizing what I find. I don't. Again, like I, I was very engrossed. I enjoyed watching the movie. It just somehow I can like feel why people would not like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's there's. I think it is a. It is a. I you know. I'll probably figure it out someday later. I'll be thinking about it in like a month, and and right. You know, I'll realize what I think is odd about it. Um, I actually, I, <laughs> I, I, to a certain extent do blame Brando for it. If I'm being totally honest, I think, I think the movie probably needed a different kind of rebel. Yeah. Well, if another... I'm being totally honest, like I understand that Brando is like doing a very Brando style of like, right. performance here, but like I, would almost accept a little bit more of a like I don't know I feel like we've got Brando but we need is like more of a like James Dean does that make yeah, sense maybe. like I think that, that I feel like that's sense. like it's where I'm where I'm at mentally is like it's it's fine it's it's like something about it, but at the same time like Brando's delivery is very very got a very southern gothic vibe to it like right. kind of always so like it makes sense i understand why you pick him but like the rest of the yeah. acting in the movie is more melodramatic right and so i feel like brando's, and brando's just mellow and yeah, dramatic but not melodramatic, not melodramatic. <laughs> and so yeah. i feel like the result is that the the, the two the acting doesn't doesn't exactly i don't know it just doesn't quite match up all the right. time and he's yeah he's too cool he for is most cool. of the movie that is that is really yeah um and i don't know that james dean would have been less cool in no the but like james but, dean's but, cool i don't know james dean's yeah. coolness has a little bit of a harder edge to it than brando's Maybe. coolness. like right james dean never james dean is cool i pick james dean is just a representative of that kind of uh that kind of protagonist like another kind of like yeah. outlaw, uh, but like he, you, Brando's character feels like maybe he's a serial killer, whereas <laughs> like a James Dean outlaw wouldn't feel like maybe he's a serial killer, but would maybe feel like he's just a killer. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. That's my uh, take on it. 
another sort of aspect that that caused some rift on set was that uh, Magnani wasn't sure in her English. Uh-huh. Um, IMDb trivia says that she was delivering the lines phonetically, but I don't think that's true. That can't be true. Speak. That's just not true. Yeah, <laughs> she did speak English. She just wasn't sure in her English, and because of that, there was some trouble catching her cues from Brando, who she I think I think ultimately why why there's the story of her stop stopping showering is revenge against Brando was that she thought Brando was t- trying to sabotage her by mumbling his lines. I can see but that. This is really yeah. Yeah, but I don't think Brando was doing anything on purpose. He was just being Brando doing the role as he thought the role should be done, which um, is a guy who's tired, right? Just always tired and very tired of the lifestyle he has had to lead in New Orleans. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, Brando's character, he does, he does nail the tired part. One might right. argue too well, <laughs> too well, uh, yes. to the point of being like I had to turn on subtitles eventually. Like I got about yeah. like half an hour. Into the yeah, and it's, like, and it's weird that I needed anything anybody saying. It's weird movie. that I needed I needed them for for Brando much more than I needed them for McDonald. Absolutely, it's, totally. It's, yeah. There was a, there was like one line delivery that like pushed me over the edge. I was like, I don't fucking know what I where and I didn't where I literally was like, I don't know what anybody said in this scene. Yeah, and so I had to like turn yeah. it on and rewind it and be like, okay. What did people say? I, think I, I don't know what it right. was. And it's yeah, not even it's a classic. Scene. I mean, I, I use subtitles all the time now because, like, modern movies, the sound design is so fucking nightmarish that I have to run right. subtitles all the time. This is not from that era. The, like, the sound design is not the problem here. It's that, like, I can't. It's yeah. too mumbly for me. But There's at least one scene of the two of them in the shop where where I almost turned on subtitles because yeah. I really wasn't sure what I That probably was the same scene, and then I no. turned it on and I just left it on because I was like, well, at least now I know what the fuck's like being said. I'm, interestingly, I did not really have that problem when they're outdoors, when they when they drive off together. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't really have a trouble, any trouble understanding the lines there. But yeah, she was convinced that that he was doing all of that on purpose just to undermine her. Uh, so I don't know. It's it seems it seems from what I've read that that Anna Magnani just had a lot of anxiety about performing. Yeah, I can see uh, that in this movie particularly, despite the fact. I I mean, she'd already done English language roles. I'm I'm pretty sure. I mean, uh, it might just be like. This style, like, I mean, this is, this is a sense, like, being the kind of film that it is, it is very, it is heavily dialogue-centric in the sense that, like, almost all information is conveyed to you just by the actors telling you the thing. Yeah, she'd, she'd won an Oscar for her role in The Rose Tattoo, which is a 1955 right, Tennessee but Williams I've, I've adaptation. I've never seen, I don't so, know, like, right. what that role, it, you know, I don't know what that role entails, right? Like, it may just be that, like something about the style of the movie was right uncomfortable right. right like um hard to say but like it is it is i i don't know you can i i she also doesn't her delivery doesn't show that out right like you don't ever get the impression when you're watching that she's uncomfortable i mean like as an actor certainly as a character but like um so i don't know yeah yeah, I I don't know. It's 
from what I've read, it seems like most of her anxiety was was less about her English necessarily, though it did eventually sort of filter into that, and more that she maybe thought she was too old by yeah. this point I mean, in her career. Yeah. I, that, um, that's a, a common anxiety, right? And, and, right, right. Uh, and, and, and in Hollywood, a well-founded one. Um, right, right. Yeah. We are ta- I mean, it's 15 years since Rome Open City, which is you know, her first work. Um, so, you know, maybe, yeah. And obviously in, in Mama Roma, which is two years after this, she's, she's playing a character who is meant to be older right? right, and meant to sort of be over the hill as far as everything goes. Um, well, and you can also kind of come at it from the other direction, right? Like this, this, this movie proposes is a, is a very specific kind of role, right? Where she is playing a. A an not old woman, but it, she is older, right? And then that, and there is a sort of romantic element to that. This may be a very, this probably might have been a very specific sort of change in the sort of dynamic that she's meant to play that may have been pretty uncomfortable, right? Because she is like that's a different role than the than a young like the sort of young love interest of a movie. This is a different kind of role, yeah. Um, so who? I mean, like, I I don't know. Like, also, like, if you can't understand what Brando's saying, I can also imagine being like, "Wait, is my English good?" Or like, there's a there. You know, right. I encounter it in my <laughs> daily life. There is a um a thing that can happen when you are not a native speaker, where you say to yourself, well, "Now wait a minute." Like, you tend to just sort of automatically blame yourself when you can't understand because you're like, "Well, the native right. speakers gotta like be speaking good right. language, like well, right." It's not always the case, but there's a tendency to sort of blame yourself and be like, "Well, yeah. clearly I'm the here. problem here." We're <laughs> like, here, Marlon Brando is the shit out of this. Yeah, just being Marlon Brando. So yeah, yeah, uh, you know, not stereotypical Brando in what we think of Brando. You know, from Godfather and later, where right. it's all mumble, but still, still well on his way to that. Yes, um, but but yeah, uh, yeah. Man, all of all of it is is a little disappointing that Brando's backstory is sort of all implied and talked in vagalities. Um, you know, he taught like his stuff with the party where he gets arrested. Uh the one that, that leads us with the with the arrest at the beginning of the film. Another, another, actually, while we're at it, another weird thing about the beginning of the film is I thought it was going to be like a framing element. Right. And then yes, we just yeah. Yeah. jump to the next story, which is after he's, after he's released from that instead of before. Um, so that, that, uh, that threw me for a little bit too. Uh, but anyway, uh, he talks about, he was hired for this party and he didn't have his guitar and the guy told him he didn't need his guitar. He just needed to show up, uh, and entertain, which, uh, I don't know, makes it, makes it sound like it's a weird sex thing that I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not I really kind sure of, about. I sort of always assumed it was like, I, my, my yeah. main, my brain was like, no, this is, he's, he's doing, there's something sex related here. Cause like, I don't know what like. There's some sort of weird vibe to the way they're saying entertain. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and like he doesn't, like he doesn't want to talk more about it. Uh, right. It, yeah. Like he seems very uncomfortable talking about this yeah. this party. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, I don't think that's what we're actually supposed to get out of it, though. Like, that's no, probably thing, not. Right? Like, I it just I, am, I think you and I can't I, like, imagine that it on is a, on something. But, yeah, I don't think it necessarily exists. But boy, it was. I don't know. It was very awkward. Yeah. Another uh, just a a weird world building detail to mention that he gets his, he got his guitar from Lead Belly. <laughs> um, it's just I don't know. It's, it. It seemed out of place. Uh, obviously, if Lead Belly gave me a guitar, it would be the one possession I have that I would never want to get rid of. Right. So there's that. Um, particularly one that he apparently engraved his name on. Uh, yeah, I'll keep that. But And I'll put my snakeskin jacket around it to keep it from getting wet. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It It ups the stakes on why he's connected to the guitar in a weird way because it's really just connected to the guitar because it's his livelihood. Right. But, right. Well, I uh, mean, yeah. And, and they, I, it, it is possible if I'm in the complaining mood that I would also maybe say that like they kind of up the stakes on the guitar too high. Right. Like, especially they decided to like make it like it made him sound like he's a famous like blues musician because right. like all these fan like he's so connected to this. Like, Instead of just being a rando, kind of just like drifting youth, he's suddenly right. like almost sounds like he should be the next greatest blues guitarist. Yeah, because like all these yeah, other the blues guitarists like gate like if he know, had like really he, like him or something, I don't know. If he had ended up with a guitar that Lead Belly had owned at one point, that's believable and fine. But we never see him play. So there's almost and and well, the we one see him time sing one time where it's oh yeah it's very clearly dubbed over. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, well, that's the thing, right? Is that like yes, I I, I think that it, there it it is not related to any of my issues with the movie or anything like that. But there is like a kind of like oh he's the next greatest blues guitarist in the in America. Well, I think up. there's a there is a different way to read that subtext is that he can't play. Because like when he's hired to go to that party, they tell him it's fine that he doesn't have his guitar. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I guess that's possible. I never thought to read it that way, but I, yeah, that's definitely yeah. possible. Yeah, <laughs> so he doesn't maybe play he's guitar, bad, and everyone knows and, it. And, and like, and, so they're just and, like, and people sort of just like gives him a pass on it because he's really handsome. Because he's really, really fucking handsome. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> that is a really interesting read. I like. Yeah. I like it. I don't think it's correct, but I like it. Yeah, but literally everyone thinks he's handsome. Even yeah. Well, that that's a whole other problem. Even the villain kind. of the movie is like, yeah, you're you're as handsome as I expected you to be. <laughs> I, I I for one always like no matter how handsome your movie protagonist is, I am always a little weirded out when a movie like tells us that like literally. Everybody finds a, a, a any character. Yeah. It does not matter who they are, man, woman. Anytime a movie tells me that a person is like functionally irresistible, yeah, it just gets under my skin. I don't know. Right. Like whenever it happens enough in movies where I'm like, I just kind of get annoyed. I'm like, oh, stop it, movie. Like, right. just fact, stop it. Obviously, in a movie, 
the guy who is the moral apex of of the entire community uh, that he finds himself in would be played by the handsome Hollywood star. But right. the fact that he's also in universe the most handsome person, yeah, like maybe maybe a world, little too yeah, much. It's doing too yeah. much. Yeah, it, I, yeah. it's it is it is. Yeah, it, it, I, 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 yeah, I, I think that that's probably. I mean, it's not really where my issues with the movie come from, or anything right, like right, that. Right, right. Again, because I do like the movie and I, I think it's good. But boy, yeah, whenever a movie tells me that, I'm just like, movie, cool it, okay? We got it. We can see him. Like we do not need you to like spend the next hour and a half like There's, telling right. me how it incredibly is, handsome he is. It is it is not like the guitar playing. We we need characters to tell us he's a good guitar player. Right, because we're never going singer. to experience it. Because yes. we're never going to experience him being the best guitar player in the world in this movie. Uh it's Marlon Brando. We don't need anyone on screen to tell us how handsome he is. Right. And then the movie like it was like, No, 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 we need to tell you. <laughs> multiple times <laughs> right right like we need you to know that nobody anybody in this town could keep their hands off of him right uh that all the men hate him for for how much they want him uh, right exactly it's it's really like i yeah i i don't know it it is it is fine for your the men in your movie to be jealous of the handsome man like i don't yeah I don't really have any problem with that. Like he is a threat to them, like right. from the beginning. That's fine. I mean, outsider who, like, I don't need you to tell me it all the time because I can can read it. I can see it in their acting. But like, also to just have him. We well, we have three yeah. women in this movie, and all of them find him irresistible. <laughs> it's like also but, like okay, come on, movie. Cool but the it. real the real thing is he doesn't need to be physically attractive to be irresistible to the women in this situation, right? He right. doesn't need to be physically attractive to be the threat that he is to this community. No, 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 yeah. Uh, and he is, which is fine because he's mar- played by Marlon Brando, so of course he is. But to have the movie keep commenting on the yes, fact to keep that he reminding is as well. Of it. Yeah, it, it, that's where it's, it's a bridge too far. That Exactly. That, yeah. I, it is not necessarily any of the, the realities of what we're seeing on screen that is the problem. It is the fact that the movie like, right. <laughs> seems to think from a dialogue perspective we need you to tell they need to tell us right right that that we the viewers don't realize marlon brando it's just weird <laughs> yeah like like okay so at this point in marlon brando's career like how, what movies has he done i i actually didn't i meant to look that up but i didn't like well what, he's already how, got i mean he's famous right like already for sure yeah, he's he's very famous already and so like uh, he's already a famously handsome man yeah. So, like, I really mean, just so totally all, unnecessary dialogue, right? I believe all four of our leads already had Oscars by the time this movie had come out. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been uh, making movies for 10 years. He's been in Streetcar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So right. he's incredibly recognized as a handsome man. Yeah. And then just to be like, <laughs> just to have the characters constantly comment on it is just funny. I don't know. It's just, it's, and, and, and Maybe somewhat it off-putting. Maybe maybe it's meant to be funny. And it's possible that it, it's meant to be kind of a joke. I I can kind of buy that. Um, it's just a matter of whether believe- or not you you re- recognize it as a joke when you're watching it. Right. That's the only issue is whether or not right. you pick up on it. I would believe it was meant to be kind of a joke if if someone had said, 
oh, you look like that guy from Guys and Dolls, or or <laughs> even you look like a movie star. Yeah, it would be a joke, right? That would be a and joke. Really yeah. laying right a now, on right it. now it just feels like yeah. they just like they're worried you don't know. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> very, very funny. <laughs> it is funny. Like, uh, well, and the thing, yeah, as you pointed out, like it, the the handsomeness is 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 secondary to like what he represents, right? Like, um, in the movie, um, so it's it's kind of a. You actually probably could have pulled this off with basically any ma- like, any major Hollywood star, but um, right, I and I don't even think Brando's bad. It's just I also just don't feel like Brando and everybody and the uh, the rest of the people in the movie are on the same page, necessarily. Yeah. I think that's true. I think Brando Brando is making choices that, uh, in another production probably would have been fine. And, 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 um, and if other people were on the same page with him and doing right. and like trying to match his vo- his like style and and energy, might yeah. be fine. But they, not quite there. Yeah. And, you know, everybody is their own sort of unique character. Right. But they're all Val Carroll, Lady Torrance, and V. Talbot all all kind of feel like they're from different movies. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was kind of going with it. I didn't want to yeah. say that out loud because I was like, am I being too judgmental? But, like, in reality, I I thought that as well, and it kind of... Yeah, it does feel like, oh, you guys needed to, like, sit down and decide, like, what this movie was going to be like. Right. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, they might have been right about Sidley Lumet in the sense right. that, like, that's where he needed to be right. the authority I don't on, think, like, what the yeah. movie was going to be. Yeah, maybe. I don't know that Lumet's problem is not grasping the material successfully enough or presenting the material successfully enough. I think it's <laughs> he needed more of an not, iron fist with his, his actors. He needed more of an iron fist with the four people who were infinitely more famous than he was in yes, the moment yeah, that yeah. that he was working with them. Yeah. Uh and you know, I I don't think I don't think in reality he could have achieved that. No. At no, that time with but those people. I think people, that might be right? what people are picking up on when they're like yeah. uh he doesn't know the material, like know how to deal with this material. It's like, well, he was kind of, to a certain extent, thrown in uh, in uh, in the deep end here. Yeah, yeah, and really, he just, yeah, he doesn't have the respect of of any of his actors. Right. Ultimately, right. it seems yeah. like. Um, like earlier, I earlier I said that it was it was him asking Maureen Stapleton how they played it on stage, but it wasn't even him. I I, I looked at my notes again. It was Tennessee Williams. Asking how they played it on stage, oh, okay. so it's not even Lumet yeah. asking those questions. It's it's Williams like trying to trying to impose some sort of uh, passive aggressive yeah, well, <laughs> influence sort of a sense on the production on like what the, the yeah. production is going to be, right? Right. Yeah, and and so like now now you always get into this interesting problem. I always find myself in my mind with an interesting problem, which is okay. So like we've identified this problem via watching the movie. Right? right, we sat down, we watched the movie, and we've 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 identified a thing that might have that might be what like sort of a, a core issue with the movie uh, in a very good movie that I enjoyed watching. I, I want to reiterate yeah. that because I don't want to sound like too of a too much of a downer. Like I really did enjoy this movie a lot. Uh, I was very engrossed, but like we've identified this, 
But then, like, I'm always curious, like, what, how did the audience discover this? Like, was it through, I guess it was through reviews, right? Like, so, like, reviewers watched it, didn't, it didn't work for them. And so people read the reviews and then decided not to go see the movie, I guess, right? Um, Because, like, I don't know that you, the problems we're talking about would be something you would pick up on from, like, advertisements for the movie. Like, you know, probably the advertisements of the movie pick some of the more, like, extreme scenes where, like, there's some some people yelling at each other and stuff. Uh, yeah. And, like, gave a quick blurb, and that was the deal, right? Like, that's the that's how trailers work, right? Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that uh, we have a big block quote from Bosley Crowther's review on the Wikipedia, but all of the other reviews that they cite are from uh from sources that extremely postdate the movie. Right. So that's a, and that's always a problem, right? Like I mean that's what we're doing. Like that they they don't right. count. They're not explanations for right. why people didn't see the movie. Like you you and I our feelings about the movie are irrelevant to why the movie wasn't seen. Because people either decide based on trailers or decide based on publications talking about the movie, right? Those are two sort of decide, and of course, there's other things like whether or not the movie was advertised. Like, did the studio believe in it and actually like promote it, or was it just allowed to to, to sit foul because people didn't want to commit? Like, there's other things, obviously, but like people chose not to see this movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting then that Crowther seems to like the movie. I mean, there's a lot going on in what he's in the the there's a lot of ellipsis in the block quote they have on wikipedia too but but he does seem to have liked the movie and thought it was competently put together uh he uh he does say that that carol is a bit too florid for full credibility in in but that's really the closest he comes to to really complaining about it um So yeah, yeah. If the New York Times review of it wasn't bad, well, that that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Why, yeah, why, why did people, people see not it? see it in 1960? Were is... people just overwhelmed with like, was had the era of like, okay, what movies this is Tennessee Williams associated with directly after this? I guess is the question. Were people like spent on Tennessee Williams for a little while? I think I think they kind of were. He does. He does seem to think that the failure of this, uh, and this I draw from the from the Criterion essay as well, the failure of this on stage. Uh, Williams kind of saw as him finally, people finally realizing he was a fraud in a way. Okay. Um, oh, a, a little uh, bit of uh, a little bit. Yeah. Of, yeah. Which is, you know, weird for Tennessee to think that Tennessee Williams ever had those thoughts of all of my success is undeserved uh, because but, he really know. was a phenomenal writer. But, but yeah. like that happens yeah. to, to the best right. of them, right? Definitely, definitely does. Yeah. So film-wise, gets started in 1950 with The Glass Menagerie. We've got Streetcar Named Desire in 51, Rose Tattoo in 55, Baby Doll in 56, Hot Ten Roof in 58, Suddenly Last Summer in 59, This in 59, 60, um, Ten Blocks on the Camino Real in 66, uh, Boom in 68, uh, 
stopped rocking and other screenplays uh, is credited as 1984, but that suggests it's a it's a collection of unproduced screenplays given uh, that yeah. title, but I don't know. And then the loss of a teardrop diamond, which is a screenplay he wrote in '57, um, but was not filmed into to this film uh, 2008. Um, so yeah, you know, it it did. He had a lot of bangers, and it did drop off significantly after this. It was another. It was six years before right. he got another thing produced, and then he had two by the end of the seventies after having eight prior. Right. Well, right? It, it, to me, it sort of sounds like in like you know, of course, we're like taking a lot of speculation here, but like it to me, it also sort of sounds like um, this happens with with other with directors, writers, where like. He did a bunch. He did a, some bangers that people really were into, and then like, yeah, the play wasn't successful, but because like we're already in like full on like, well, we're optioning everything that Tennessee Williams makes, right? To and the point still... where like we're like, okay, we're just gonna like, like, play didn't do well, but like, he was still fairly consistently putting things out on, on stage, right, 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 not yeah. not as consistently as he was doing through the late forties and fifties. Where he was doing multiple multiple plays a year, it looks like sometimes. Right. But uh, but by no means was his was, did his stage work dry up after this. Right. Anything. But one could imagine that like, okay, so you're you're optioning plays like you're almost to the point where you're po- you're optioning plays sight unseen, right? Like you, okay, this person right. is gold. We just gonna like everything he makes, we we option immediately because like it's gold. And then you get to the point where like. Okay, then the, that play fails, but you've already decided to make the movie for it, and you're like, "Well, all of his other movies have been fine, so like maybe that's just a fluke." And then you're like, "Oh, well, maybe this is just." And then like you slowly get into it, and like people aren't quite as committed to it necessarily as they, you know, people. Some people maybe don't like the story as much. You know what I mean? Like where like, because you see it with um, in like it happens in like Hollywood and stuff today, right? Where like. You're, like this person is is unstoppable. We just need to like get whatever they've got coming out next. And then sometimes like that eventually almost always seems to end in hardship, like in heartbreak. You know what I mean? Like eventually you uh, you choose one where it's like, well, this one just isn't as good. Like it yeah. just it it wasn't successful. And you know, I'm not saying that about this one per se, but like that idea of like, well, you know, you this maybe, was just not the one. Like this one just didn't maybe, have what the other ones had. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe maybe we're talking about an era. So we are talking about an era where where those those teleplay theater productions on on television were very very well liked through this through the same era, right? So maybe one thing we're we're looking at is that people remembered that the play this is based off of bombed. Well, that's what I mean. Is right like is yeah. that like if if everybody knows that the play bombed or like it comes up in like just sort of idle conversation and or like um you know and like they you know in the pre-release of the film like people are talking about the fact that like oh the play didn't do so well maybe yeah you just get it's got it's kind of got the the sort of stink of death about it where it's like well i that one didn't do so well as a play i probably don't need to see it or whatever right like yeah whereas the other ones oh these are these are faint like it's the same reason like movies based on famous plays to this day when the movie comes out, people rush to go see the movie, right? Because they're like, well, I didn't get to see the play. 
because I'm not the play per kind of person. Right, right. But right, everybody right. saw the like everybody who saw the play thought it was amazing. I want to see the movie based on that play. Whereas if if this one doesn't have that like kind of momentum behind it, maybe the drive to go see the movie based on the play is like just not there. Because like, well, yeah, I didn't hear from yeah, a thousand know. people that this is the best best play ever. It it won a couple of prizes at the San Sebastian International Film Festival, which is. A international film festival, right? right? It's not exactly, not exactly the the big the big heavy hitter, uh, but uh, it is you know, it is another you know. It's not it's not right. like bottom of the barrel, certainly, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so there is that, but yeah, I don't know. It it we've got. The only the only way I know it wasn't popular is that the essay says that no one no one saw it in nineteen sixty. Um, Crowther seems to give it an okay review. Yeah. Um, box office box office says two million dollars, which I don't know. Well, I don't I mean, know what that would. Uh, I mean, it all that would comes mean down to like in, how much it costs to make, right? Yeah. Like that's always that's the the always the right. question, right? It's like yeah, we don't the amount we don't of cost have to that. make is well, what's important. Okay, we do have we do have one amount of cost it made to okay. make. It made two million dollars. Uh, they paid Marlon Brando one million dollars to be in the movie. Okay, uh, and that was famously a lot of money. So I don't right. think I don't think like the other three. Academy Award-winning actresses who were in this film <laughs> didn't even necessarily make a million dollars between the three of them, but Brando made a million dollars. Um, so you know that's a big chunk of the budget, right, uh, right? Or a big chunk of the box office draw, whatever the budget might have been. Uh, so, so maybe they didn't make money. Uh, ultimately, yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe it, that's the it problem. Is, yeah, I mean. It is, it's kind of, I, yeah, I, one would imagine this does not sound yeah. like it made any money. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're, and, and. It's just, I don't know, it's, it is, it is weird to me that, that, you know, but it does happen. You know, we've got uh, an up and coming director who has already had at least one banger uh, that everyone really loved from the start. Uh, we've got Marlon Brando in. A huge, a huge enough draw that he's paid a million dollars to be in this movie, right? And and three other famous actresses uh, who have a con- Academy Award at least nominations if they haven't won outright by now, uh, including uh, famous Italian actress as well in in her second American film role, right? And and yeah, uh, these are all things you would bill on. You would absolutely yeah. like. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's a Tennessee Williams adaptation in in a time when Tennessee Williams is still famous, whether or not he's as big a draw as he was a decade before. He's still famous. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it. It seems like everything should have come together to make this a huge hit, and it just wasn't a huge hit. And that does happen sometimes. Right. So. It, yeah. Absolutely. It, it's just one of those ones where like we're left. We are as as uh sort of outside like long after the fact observers have left to wonder like okay what 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 why not but 
it happens all the time, right? Like movies that everybody believes should be successful fail and movies that like shouldn't be succeed. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it, it would be interesting to read other. I'm not going to go look for them because this essentially is over. We're never, we're never coming back here. Um, it would be interesting to find out what like other reviews, like other, because you know, like we're still talking about a time where like yes, the New York Times is in, is very important to reviews, but like so are the reviews of like local paper like reviewers and stuff, right? Like you know, you're and, and like you, one has to wonder even even if you read like Crowler's like actual review like is there enough like sort of damning information in there like that like would just sort of in subtext tell people this movie isn't for you cuz this movie is is not for everybody right like right. like it's not like it's a good movie i like it it is not for everybody <laughs> right yeah i don't know maybe there there is an amount of of counterculture here that of course had was was already existent in other things, so I can't really you know no it's not, right right it's but not it, like it was even like too early on that right but right but like, there can be like how much of it right like how how hard does that counterculture go and like what who's who's delivering it there there's there's important data points to like the sort of when we talk about counterculture that like it's not like a blanket like flat thing right like it depends on where it's coming like who it's coming from right exactly how extreme or not extreme it is like does it appeal like the counterculture things need to appeal to a very specific audience does this appeal to the people who are consuming counterculture like art at this time i don't know i i mean i i'm not saying i don't know as in like hey like uh we we report you decide like i literally have no idea Right, like I have no um, clue. Thinking about thinking about the counterculture thing, I do want to do want to step back just because I know I know someone was yelling at their podcast player uh, yeah. earlier in the episode um, when uh, when we talked about maybe maybe uh, James Dean would have been better than uh, in this role. Probably yeah. should have mentioned then that James Dean was dead for five years by the time this I movie under, came out. I was but giving yes. him as an example I of the I know you of you were just using him as a, right like, exactly exactly which character is, that I would be looking for, which that, is like, why I wasn't thinking about it. Harder edge to it, right? A less which is why I wasn't thinking about it. Harder then. edge. Yes, but. I yes I I I don't I don't yes I am aware right. that, I am aware right. that, that that James Dean died very very young and would not yes. have been able to make be in this movie. But yes, right. yeah, it's a good point to to point out. Yes, um, you know, but there are there are James Dean sort of uh, I don't know what to call it. Like people p- took up the mantle of James Dean like hard, right. like right. real hard. Like it's not like there are not James Dean esque figures afterwards, right? And that's what I'm looking for, really. Um, but yes, it's a valid, it's a very valid point to point out. Uh, so somebody doesn't like throw their podcast player across the room, which is presumably their car. Cause that's what my podcast player is, is my car. <laughs> right, 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 right. So I guess well, like, throw their, throw their car across the room. Maybe. Yes. Uh, if only more people would throw their cars across the room. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's the future we want to see is everybody just chucking their cars across the room. Uh, I just, Make I yours a walkable city by chucking your car across the room. Right. 
I apologize for this, but I was just, I'd be scrolling through the IMDb trivia, which is, of course, completely unsighted, and who would, who would, you, who you would have know? walked into the lion's den at this point. It is complete lion's den. There is a claim in IMDb trivia that Elvis Presley was considered for the leading role, uh, but I'm his management really said no. Deeply <laughs> amused by that idea. Like, that's really, yeah. that's a, would they make it like other movies featuring Elvis Presley? Would it, would it be a like, would there be a lot of music in it? I admit I have not, you know, I, I really only can. It's interesting to think about, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, of course, probably not true because it is it is IMDb and IMDb doesn't know anything. about Right. Anything. Right. One hundred percent. Well, OK. Love Me Tender came out in 56. So. So Elvis was already making movies by this time, and even Jailhouse Rock was fifty-seven. Um, I, I my my go-to mental point is Jailhouse Rock, and then I've just I right right I'm just picturing that in this, and I I can't. It's not a good. It doesn't doesn't work in in it, my head. It, <laughs> since since everyone feels like they're in a different movie anyway, <laughs> if the entire thing was played exactly exactly the same, except. Except it was Elvis in an Elvis movie oh, in the Brando shit, role here. Beautiful. It would it would be uh, hilarious. It is, it, like a very very that that is so much more like m- like nineties farcical comedy, right? Than this movie is, but is also like perfect as that, right? Like uh, I would like that's that. something we should we should invest in whatever we need to invest in deep fakery to wise. deep to deep fake Elvis Presley into like very <laughs> yeah. inappropriate roles. Yeah, yeah, it's very very good. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, if we've made it to the point where I'm idly scrolling through the IMDb trivia, and we're might making be up, to... we're making up, we're <laughs> pitching movie projects. Yeah, we've we've gone yeah. too far. That is the kiss of death of this of this uh, podcast. Right, right, is once right. we get into pitching film ideas it's time to pack it up it is a very well shot film um black and white really great color um really great color really great contrast <laughs> um yeah just a beautiful film uh shot by uh boris kaufman i feel like we've seen something from him before but now i can't remember what it was that i thought we'd seen well he shot on the waterfront which we obviously haven't seen yet but for the criterion collection and he shot 12 angry men um maybe that's why i was thinking of 12 angry men but mm-hmm. I don't know that we've seen anything from him, but uh, but he is a a well known cinematographer, right? And and this uh, one is, and this is this is not is no exception. This is very yeah. very very good. Uh, there is no there's it is nice to look at it, it the 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 style of the film style. Mat, unlike some of the acting. The cinematography matches the 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 sort of essence of the movie very very well. Right, like it, right, it conveys right. the the sort of that hard edge to the world extremely well. I think that you can't stop thinking mo- about Elvis Presley just dancing, no, a dance no. number in the middle of this <laughs> the middle of this movie. Can you? I am. I can't I stop am, thinking about it. I now. will admit, I am absolutely picturing uh, a bunch of angry Southern men turning a hose on Elvis Presley to force him back into a burning building. Yes. That, that's uh, but, also, yes, a, an image in my mind, but yeah. only after the dance number, let's be very clear. Right, here. right, right. A right. dance number yes. where a surprising number of extras appear to do dance alongside <laughs> Elvis Presley. Yes. Like yes, people we've never seen before, people who will immediately disappear. 
No, I was thinking about the end because the the obviously it it is a a lot of sudden tragedy right at the, in the yes. last two minutes of the movie. Um, but I think one of the most beautifully shot uh, pieces of the movie is uh, walking through the ashes in that final scene. Um, and of course, that's our these the second appearance of uh of the African American there who's Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's credited as what is his Oh I forget the, they, the Conjure Man. Uncle Pleasant the Conjure Man is what he's credited as. Is a Henry really Richards fascinating character to be to be in the movie at all, right? Like I mean he right. his his unlike the sheriff's wife who also only they appear about equal number of times. Uh, doesn't need any real backstory or explanation. Just like works really well uh, in the movie. Um, obviously, I would like to know some backstory and stuff because he's very fascinating and interesting. But kind of better as a mysterious character than any than than, than any other way, I think. Um, but also, like I say, what you I don't um, the sort of in, the delivery of the of the last line uh, that sort of like says the title i really liked it i really liked yeah. the, the the final scene of the movie him walking through the ashes and then giving her the jacket and then her to i like all that i thought that was really yeah. it was very enjoyable i i, I mean very sad but like very right. well done and like it really it did a, it was doing a lot of work i feel like uh yeah for the movie and it succeeded in doing all of that work yes yeah yeah whereas whereas the opening scene did not succeed in the work it was trying to no, do the no, last scene no, did yeah. actually yeah uh, so anyway yeah so we've been talking about The Fugitive Kind uh, directed by Sidney Lumet based on the Tennessee William play uh, Orpheus Descending and yeah just starring everybody famous <laughs> like all the people <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah well as I said at the top of the show we'll see more from Lumet uh, relatively soon and then in the distant future um with 12 Angry Men coming up at spine number 591 and spine number 1011. Uh, double, double what we're currently at. We'll I have don't want to think about it. Let's not talk fail about safe. But we won't, we won't think about that. Well, at least by the time we get to fail safe in the Criterion Collection, we will have completely forgotten fail safe from the bonus episode. <laughs> so that is true. I mean, like, we, let's be clear here. I'm already there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but we will, we will both definitely, <clears throat> certainly be there by then. As we have talked about in the past, Failsafe having its own Criterion release is already kind of weird because it should have just been a bonus feature on the Doctor yeah. Strange level. It's DVD. very, very clear that they just couldn't get it at the time, and now they can. Right. And it's like, well, I guess yeah. it's its own release now. It's not a, It's not exactly a super memorable film, especially considering there's a much more memorable film working from the same source <laughs> Yeah, material. exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway. Still, you know, look forward to someday getting it. Uh, Lumet is a phenomenal director, which is why we've watched so many of his <laughs> movies on the bonus without with, Without being prompted to, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Without, without even really meaning to, too. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, really, honestly, yes. Like, really, um, almost on accident. Yeah. With the, ex- with the exception of Network, uh, none of the lists were crafted for us to, to get the Sidney Lumet film out of them. So, or, or, and none of those films were included because they were Sidney Lumet films on the list they were included on. Right. Um, and like I said, Network, 
Network just should be in the Criterion Collection too. So. Well, and, and and then yeah, when it really comes down to it, all the ones we've like <laughs> right, right, yeah, the ones ultimately. We've seen so should Dog Day Afternoon. Yes, yes. They, so they should Serpico probably. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just what we expect the Criterion Collection to be and what it actually is are always going to be at odds, even as yeah. what we expect it to be is constantly being redefined by what it actually is. So. Next week, very excited, we'll have special guest Adam Speakerman joining us to talk about Stagecoach from 1939, directed by John Ford and starring John Wayne in his first starring role. Well, technically his second, but we'll get into that. You know, just, I I suppose, a a weird little side note, uh, a coincidence of a recording schedule that we get a Marlon Brando movie and then a John Wayne movie uh, on the weekend that the Academy... Of motion pictures finally has, decided uh, to apologize has finally decided to apologize to Sashin Littlefeather who uh, is the uh, native woman who Brando uh, had deny his Oscar at the at the uh, at the ceremony 45 years ago um, and uh, John Wayne works into that story famously because while she was on stage talking about the plight of Native Americans at the time, uh, John Wayne was backstage being held back from tackling her on stage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it is it is a fascinating sort of like turn of events that we are, we're, yeah. <laughs> that they are both back-to-back right now. Um, yeah. We, so, yeah, weird, just weird timing of... of everything coming together so obviously this this isn't even going this doesn't go out for a couple of weeks so that timing will be a little off by the time you hear us say this but hey it happened yeah you probably read about it anyway thank you so much for listening to lost and criterion i'm as always the adam glass with me as always john patrick hotari dorgan and we'll see you next time bye bye has been Lost in Criterion, hosted by me, Adam Glass. Find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My co-host is John Patrick Ovatari Dorgan. You can find him on Twitter at jpatrickdorgan. Big thanks to Jonathan Hape for our theme song. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com or hear more from him on any streaming service. Also, thanks to all our Patreon supporters, iTunes reviewers, and Redbubble customers. And hey, thank you for listening.